0: And welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily Miami Marlins podcast. And this episode is going to be a pretty fun one. I'm going to get into the interview with Zach McCambly, which will be after this little quick rundown of yesterday's ball game between the Marlins and the Blue Jays. And then it'll be the first part of the two-part episode with Zach McCambly. First, I'll talk about McCambly real quick because he was just a really fun interview. Really gets into what makes him so good as a pitcher. If you look at the scouting reports, yes, it's the breaking ball and he has a good fastball. But he gets into the spin rates. We talk about mechanics and also just about his college career, how things really clicked for him in the Cape. He's just a very honest interview. You'll really enjoy it, I think. And you'll probably come away a fan of Zach McCambly. He's a really genuine guy and a really likable player, excited to see what he can do for the Marlins once they are able to finally play some minor league baseball, but it was a fun interview. And part one will be mostly about his ride through college. Part two, we talk a lot about the details of his pitches, spin rates, mechanics, all that fun stuff as well, but we do get into that a little bit in part one. And he talks about his changeup, which is, is the third pitch that a lot of people wanted to see him add to really support his case as a starting pitcher. And I think he has no problem being a starting pitcher at the next level. Those quote unquote concerns from whatever scouts may evaluate to me are a bit overstated. He has no problem pounding the strike zone. He is good with the fastball and the curveball getting ahead, especially after the summer in the Cape. And now adding that third pitch, the changeup, which I don't want to spoil it, you'll hear in the interview, but let's just say that he might have a third pitch on the horizon too that he feels pretty good about, which is saying a lot given the fact that his fastball is considered a fringe plus pitch and his curveball is considered already a well over plus pitch fringe double plus curveball That is a major league caliber pitch as is. So I think you'll really enjoy the interview part one in the second half of this episode. Part two will be out tomorrow real quick, going to talk about the Marlins extra inning loss against the blue Jays. There was a great fight put up by the fish. Ryu looked good. Look, I know going into the game, his numbers weren't great. Small sample size. Ryu was lights out last year. I don't think that the Marlins were bad at the plate by any stretch. Of course, we're seeing them come back to Earth a little bit. Not that they were mashing the ball really before. It was more about situational hitting, and they did the same thing in this ball game. They're losing the whole game, and 3-0 count, two outs in the ninth. Francisco Cervelli comes through with a bomb to tie it up, down four to one, and that's when you swing 3-0. I went in my rant last episode about VR swinging in the wrong situations, 3-0. You're down three runs. You're the tying run at the plate. If that's the pitch you're hunting, you take a hack at it. And clearly Cervelli was hunting a fastball and he got it. That's the thing is if it's not a fastball, you shut it down. I think Cervelli would have shut it down if it wasn't a fastball elevated. That was clearly what he was looking for. And especially with the way the ball was flying out to left in that game yesterday and probably will fly out to left the whole series, a great time to hunt that upper elevated fastball. And Cervelli did the trick right there. I'm going to talk about some strategy, though, because hindsight's 2020. This is the first time what we saw the Marlins get into a situation where they had to deal with the new rules in the 10th inning with the runner on second and all of the little adjustments that go with it because this is obviously kind of just like summer baseball or little league type of thing where you wouldn't really incorporate the strategy at that level. So now you're dealing with major leaguers. And this is some weird type of rule that I honestly hope doesn't stick. I don't think it will. I think the DH will stick. But I don't think this man on second rule will stick because it just gives such a heavy advantage to the home team, which is already an advantage in extra innings, given that you have a chance to tie it up if you're losing and you have a chance to walk it off every single inning when you go into extras. And now with the situation at hand where if the away team in the top of the 10th does not score a run, you are in big trouble in the bottom of the 10th. And that's something that I think is really important when you think about the strategy with it. So first, we'll talk about the Marlins offensive side of things. What should they have done? They have a speedster in Lewis Brinson starting the inning at second as he was he was the last out of the ninth. He obviously is well above average when it comes to running. He was on second base, and the Marlins ultimately decided to let Forsyth swing away. I didn't have a problem with that because clearly Forsyth missed a home run by a matter of inches. So, yeah... He ends up striking out. He did just miss the home run by a matter of inches. And like I said, hindsight's 20-20. But I would consider bunting there just because of the fact that you have Eddie Alvarez on deck who handles the bat pretty well. And all you would need is a relatively deep fly ball. Not even. Even straight away to shallow to middle left would be more than enough to get Lewis Brinson home. Ironically, Alvarez fouls a ball off that was more than deep enough to get Brinson home. Yes, they would have pitched Alvarez differently, given that there was a man on third. But I, I would like to just see the Marlins be in a situation where they don't have to count on a base hit, especially when they're struggling so much to consistently put the bat on the ball. And it's been more situational hitting. Forsyth, yes, he almost hit a home run. But that aside... I just think in that situation, with how much speed you have on second, bunting makes sense because if you don't score the run, now you're really in trouble, and that's exactly what happened with the Marlins. Now in the bottom of the tenth, they're really in trouble, and I would have went to Brandon Kinsler there instead of Stephen Tarpley. Yes, Tarpley's been good, but when you're losing or when you're tied, excuse me, and the runners on second with no outs in the 10th, that represents the winning run. You got to go to your closer there if you haven't used him yet. The Marlins didn't use their closer yet. Yes, they wanted Tarpley with the lefty splits, but keep in mind, Brandon Kinsler has fantastic lefty splits. In fact, left-handed hitters hit just 163 against him last year. And then you consider the fact that Kinsler gets a lot of ground balls. The Marlins were clearly trying to get a ground ball in that situation, especially when a fly ball would win it. For the Blue Jays. That's why you saw the Marlins go with a fifth infielder, bringing John Birdie back in. I know that hindsight is 20 20, as I've said now three times, but as a manager, I really think that would be something I would consider where you have to get three outs or the game is over. The winning run is on second base. Go with your best. And Even with the splits not being a factor, I'm going to my closer in that situation. Live to see another inning because the runner is on second already. One hit and the game's over, maybe. Or they move him over and a fly ball and the game's over. You need your best in that situation when you don't score in the top of the 10th. Give yourself another chance because in the top of the 11th, if you survive, if you score a run, then you at least have a cushion and that's where you put Tarpley in because if he does give up one run, you're still alive versus – You give up one run with Tarpley in the bottom of the 10th, and the game is over. I think there's an important distinction to be seen there, and that was something that the Marlins maybe dropped the ball a little bit, and we'll see if they adjust moving forward and go with their closer in that situation. To me, you live to see another inning in those types of situations, especially in an abbreviated season. You take nothing for granted and you got to put your best out when you got a runner in scoring position, nobody out, and the game is on the line. We'll see what the Marlins decide to do moving forward. I don't know about you, but after yesterday's game, I was feeling pretty tense and stressed. And a good solution to that when the Marlins seem to put you through a roller coaster ride like they did last night. Maybe you're tossing and turning because you can't comprehend how the Marlins just left Brandon Kinsler in the bullpen instead of going to him in the 10th inning, and you wake up with a sore neck. Try CBD MD. They've got two different types of creams that will help you with. Your tight muscles, sore muscles, their CBD freeze with menthol, which is an award winning product that offers instant cooling release for muscles and joints and a convenient and easy to use roller or shareable squeeze tube. Also, you've got the CBD recover, which combines CBD with inflammation fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters the most for me. It's my neck, I get tense, I swear it goes down my entire body, but right now, CBDMD has been a huge help for me, and you also can get 25% off by using the promo code LOCKEDONMLB, that's three words, LOCKEDONMLB, on CBDMD's website to get 25% off your first order, it's worth it, trust me, you'll feel great. It's the new version of Icy Hot, I would say, makes it a lot better. This episode's also brought to you by Rock Auto, which has been probably the easiest solution to be able to repair your car. You do it yourself. They mail it straight to your house. And why pay 30, 50, 100% more for car parts to fix your car? Even some chain stores have different rates for the do-it-yourselfers versus the professional mechanics. It's a steady rate, one price from rockauto.com, and it's cheaper than all the competitors, whether you go to the dealership or you go to a chain store. It's the best bet to easily find the parts that your car needs easy to navigate the website at rockauto.com amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need visit rockauto.com and tell them that locked on sent you and i'm joined by miami marlins third round pick zach mccambly zach it's been a wild ride i know you're eager to get back on the bump again but how have you been doing in the meantime and I know it's been a, a big ride of emotions with everything going on, but how's the hangover been from the draft?
1: Yeah, right. So I guess for a little bit, it kind of was just uh, you know, kind of didn't seem real. Uh, really, kind of took a little while to settle in, um, but I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, you know, I kind of just bouncing back. I have a lot of free time on my hands, uh, making sure that I'm you know staying in shape and stuff. But um, yeah, it's been cool. Uh, like I said, I'm very blessed to be put in that position. I'm very thankful uh, for the Marlins to, uh, you know, end up drafting me and, you know, were able to get, you know, through the physical and everything and finally got signed. And, you know, yes, now everything's official. And, uh, yeah, uh, really exciting and I'm re- real happy about it.
0: And before we get into your college career and everything leading up into the draft, I-, I wanted to just talk about the draft day in itself because it looked like you had a really awesome experience surrounded by a lot of uh, people close to you. And you posted that picture of you on the phone with, I'm assuming, somebody within the Marlins' front office. Uh, What was that whole day like, and what were the emotions, given that we didn't know when the draft was going to be initially, then the draft gets cut to five rounds. So I'm sure you you felt confident that you'd get selected in those five rounds, but I'm sure there's also that little voice in the back of your head, like, oh, crap, it's a lot scarier now, less margin for error. How, How are the emotions of that whole situation?
1: Right, right. So obviously going from 40 rounds to five rounds is a huge cut. Um, but yeah, uh, my dad owns a bar. So my dad owns a bar in South Carolina, about 30 minutes away from coastal Carolina. Um, and we decided to have, um, kind of like a little party, um, at his bar, you know, kind of just, you know, have, invite some of the closest friends that I have and my family and everybody got together. My girlfriend was there and her parents. And, um, yeah, it was like a roller coaster ride, honestly, you know, kind of just going up and down kind of waiting for my name to be, you know, selected kind of just, you know, on the phone with my agent talking to him. And, um, I definitely know, I, I definitely cried a lot that day just because, you know, that's something I was looking forward to since I was you know, a little kid. You know, that's what a lot of kids look forward to when they play baseball growing up. They look forward to that day right there. Um, and then obviously, you know, make it all the way up to the big leagues, but, um, yeah, I mean, not a lot of people from my area, you know, necessarily get to say, um, that they were drafted. And, um, yeah, it was just a huge blessing and it was awesome. And, uh, I'm so happy that i was able to spend that with my whole family and um, especially at my dad's bar you know that does very great business uh, over there in north myrtle beach south carolina so um yeah it was definitely a whirlwind it was a crazy roller coaster day but i'm, I'm happy that um, i was able to, to be there in that location so
0: well you talk about not that many guys from where you're from get to hear their name called you played in pennsylvania the competition there is maybe not as comparable to the Carolinas or Florida or some of the other spots, Texas, California. Uh, What was it like going from high school to then Coastal Carolina, which is, you know, the national champion at one point, was there a little bit of a shock factor going from maybe where you dominated in high school a little bit then moving forward to, you know, one of the better programs in the entire country?
1: Right. Yeah. So, so going to Coastal definitely opened my eyes up a little bit, you know, in high school, you know, I didn't even do any type of bands or drive line, or I didn't really lift much either. Um, so kind of going to Coastal kind of was a little bit of a culture shock for me. Um, but, you know, I, I played travel ball growing up. So obviously, you know, I've been around some good, good competition. You know, I've been all over the country, you know, Georgia, Florida, even California. I've been out there to play baseball um, during high school. So I, I kind of knew what, what it was going to be going in, heading into college. Uh, I knew it was definitely going to be a little bit different than, uh, you know, say, you know, just local Pennsylvania baseball. But, uh, yeah, don't get me wrong, you know, you know Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania baseball, you know, is not bad. Um, it's just, you know, definitely when you go from, you know, a high school to, you know, one of the best programs in the country, it's definitely, like I said, a culture shock. Um, so, you know, I think I didn't really have anything to prepare me. Uh, for the next level. But, you know, I just went in there ready to, you know, grind and, and work out whatever I had to do. And um, it worked out for me. So, uh, yeah, Coastal really taught me how to be, you know, more of a blue-collar type of, you know, uh, player. And, uh, yeah, I'm real thankful for them as well. So,
0: Well, that seems like the Coastal Carolina mold, right? Just blue-collar, grind-out wins. And that's what that amazing uh, national championship run seemed to be too. And there's a lot of talent on this ball club, that would have been a pretty scary team this coming year if you guys were able to play through the season. Uh, I want to get into the grinding, as you mentioned, because as you look through your college progression, just the numbers got better and better, and you could just see a pitcher that developed well. But before I get to that, what what were the emotions like when you knew you had a really good team moving forward this year and a chance to maybe do something special again and to just have that taken away? Did it make you just even more eager to make your pro debut, or you know, were you kind of grieving that loss of – playing your final college season a little bit.
1: Right, right. So I I definitely would be lying to you if I told you I was not upset uh, and very heartbroken about what, you know, went on. Um, Obviously, you know, we want everybody to be safe, and I I know there's a worldwide pandemic going on, but um, I think I speak for, you know, obviously for myself and, you know, for most of my teammates. You know, we were all very heartbroken about it. Um, we had a lot of young talent on the, on the team, you know, a lot of freshmen stepping up and they were just starting to, you know, get over a little bit of a learning curve. We were going into our fifth week of playing. Um, the young guys were starting to, you know, come around, kind of come into their own. Uh, the pitching staff was pitching really well. Um, and honestly, it was just kind of a young, exciting team. And it just sucks that, you know, it had to come to an end so early. We were actually um, on the plane to Louisiana when we landed. Um, and they told us that basically our season was going to be canceled. So. You know, we were going into our first conference play, you know, our first weekend down against Lafayette, and, you know, we were all pumped up, fired up, excited. It just sucks, you know. I mean, to lose your college season, and honestly, I feel for, you know, the seniors, you know, that not necessarily are coming back some of the fifth year guys. And, you know, we had one, you know, chase on our team. and kind of just sucks, but, you know, you kind of just got to keep moving forward. And, you know, obviously I'm real upset about how it happened, but, you know, Coastal will always be, you know, like a second home to me and um, Gilly, Coach Thomas and Barry and all all the guys there, uh, they always welcome me with open arms. So um, moving forward, I think it's going to be okay. And, um, you know, them guys next year that are playing, I'm sure uh, they'll be just as good. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that.
0: So I want to talk about your progression at Coastal because you really turned into this pitcher that the Marlins fell in love with and ended up taking with their third pick in the draft. The beginning you were – in and out of the starting rotation, bullpen, and then you really hit your stride in the Cape where you were lights out and then rolling into your first several starts this year, it seemed like that momentum kept going where you were just locked in on the mound as a starter. And, you know, that's a big adjustment when you go from high school to college as we were talking about. And just that consistency on the mound that really clicked for you. Would you say that – what was the point where you really felt that click? Was it the end of your sophomore year? Did it click in the Cape? Uh, because it really, you could just see it with this junior season, even though it was only a handful of starts, you were lights out in, in those starts.
1: Yeah. So honestly, for me, you know, the biggest thing was the Cape for me. I credit a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, some of my success uh, from the Cape. I kind of just went up there. Uh, you know, baseball is about failure, obviously. Um, you know, I've had my fair share of failures through college. And um, I think that's what kind of, you know, what makes you the person you are today. Um, but yeah, the Cape definitely, you know, I just went up there with an open mind and, you know, I kind of just wanted to, you know, free myself up a little bit, kind of just, had, you know, gain a little more confidence, you know, going into my junior season, knowing that um, it was a big season for me, you know, coming off my sophomore year, kind of struggled a little bit here and there, bouncing back from the bullpen to, to the starter role. And then, so basically I just, you know, wanted to come back and wanted to, you know, regain my spot back, you know, reclaim my Friday night role. Um And, uh, you know, I showed Coach Gilmore uh, that I really wanted it that that following fall. And, uh, yeah, I just stayed locked in because I knew, you know, that this was the year. Uh, You know, obviously we didn't know that this this crazy pandemic was going to happen. So, um, honestly, just kind of crazy the position I was able to, you know, put myself into uh, going from 40 rounds to five rounds. You know, I'm very thankful for that, uh, that they gave me a chance. Um, But I'm just happy I was able to prove myself a little bit up there in the Cape and, Um, that was one of my most favorite experiences I've ever had playing baseball you know I I love the people up there love the atmosphere and uh, yeah it was it was awesome up there for sure.
0: Oh it's a special place and it it was a blast being able to to call games with you on the mound I was going through after the Marlins picked you I was going through the old scorebook and looking at some of the outings and then uh, you know looking at point streak as well and not only did you really have the strikeout strikeouts were never you know a problem with you you were always pretty good in the strikeout area even when you were coming out of the bullpen but it seems like after the cape something really clicked when it comes to just punching guys out at a different level and in your in your five starts this past year and or four starts excuse me you punched out eight ten six then eight what really clicked with for you on the mound to be more consistent on you know, being able to get guys to swing and miss a little bit more, even though you were already doing that at a pretty good rate, but now doing it deeper into ball games because you went at least six innings in three of your four starts, and the one that you didn't go six innings, you went five and only gave up two hits. So what really clicked for you being able to go deeper into starts and being able to get more swings and misses throughout the entire duration of the start?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, you know the biggest thing is the the fastball command, and you know not walking as many guys. You know, my first two years, I kind of had you know up and down trouble with walking guys. Not not too crazy, but it would cause me to throw too many pitches in the outings. Um, so coming back that following fall after the Cape, I kind of was just working on my command on my command. I got off the mound a couple more times a week. Um, I, I would say I was probably getting off the mound maybe three times a week, throwing throwing light bullpens uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, and then coming back on Fridays and throwing. So I think the biggest thing is starting off with command, you know, being able to command your fastball to both sides of the plate, um, being able to get your breaking ball over. Um, that's another big thing that, you know, a lot of hitters, you know, pick up. You know, if you can't get your breaking ball over, then they're, they're just going to spit on it. Um, so, yeah, kind of just I, I gained, gained confidence not walking guys. I just started to attack guys. Um, just giving them my best, trying to get guys out in three or less pitches, honestly. Um, that's what, you know, where my success came in being able to get – uh, you know, a little further into games, and um, yeah, so so that's really it. Honestly, just just kind of trying to keep the walk rate low, trying to keep the you know the K rate high, um, and I feel like I did a pretty good job of that. So,
0: absolutely. And the, the you mentioned the curveball that seems to be everybody, whether it's an evaluator or when I got a chance to you know talk to the Marlins front office after the draft and DJ Civillic when he talked about you know Zach McCambly, The first thing he mentioned is a good fastball, but a great curveball. And that seems to be your your go-to pitch to to set guys down. I know when I was in the Cape and we were talking about track man and, and some of the other things, one of the things that people would always point out with your breaking ball is one, how sharp and late the break is, and that's largely due to the spin rate and the spin efficiency. Is that something that you intentionally worked on? I know you mentioned driveline earlier. I wasn't sure, I I didn't know if you had to actually train there, but besides that, is that something that you just kind of were born with, being able to spin it a little bit better than everybody else, or did you really focus on it, and and did something really click with you with the breaking ball, because that pitch, a lot of evaluators seem to say is a
1: major league pitch already. Uh, Yeah, so um, honestly, you know, I've worked really hard uh, you know, on that pitch, obviously over over the years and as I've gotten older. But, you know, honestly, I think I kinda was more just more on the born side of having it. Um, you know, I've I've had the same curveball grip since I was uh thirteen, fourteen years old. I've not changed it. Wow. Um it's, it's always been the same uh for me. Um I kinda just you know when I was when I was a little younger, thirteen, fourteen, I would throw it more like a football. Um and I kind of was just able to, you know, just throw it however I wanted it was always my best pitch and um yeah so I kind of just kept that going and you know my pitching coach my freshman year of college I remember I'll never forget him to just telling me you know he, he always thought it was the best uh, curveball in the country and he always told me that and I think it just took me a while uh for me to really have the confidence in it to be able to throw it you know how I really want to throw it so um I'm real happy that I was able you know as I got older and I matured a little bit you know I went to the cable um and I was able to get it out there and I was able to show people that that's my best pitch and um yeah, so honestly, I haven't changed it much. It's always been the same for me. I've always been able to spin it, you know, both my fastball and my breaking ball. So, uh, yeah.
0: Um, can you talk about, for, for some listeners that may not be as familiar with, you know, spin rate and spin efficiency, w- with you, how is that something that makes your breaking ball that much better? And how, what, what is it for a pitcher that, that makes it a focal point now? I think that's more of a more recent movement and now even more focused on than ever, and, and how does that help you? And, and how do you see it on the mound that your spin rate really makes your curveball different?
1: Right, right. So, so spin rate basically. Uh, so basically, me and my pitching coach would talk all the time, and we would game plan every every Friday morning before I would start, and we would you know go off of what we could do with that breaking ball and the fastball. So the fastball has high spin on it; that we able to play it up in the zone, and then because it stays true on the same on the same plane, and then. With the curveball, you throw the curveball off that plane, and instead, you know, the hitter picks it up, and they think it's staying on the same plane. It's a fastball, and then at the last second, boom, it just breaks, you know, through that line. So basically, with the the high spin rates, you know, with the breaking ball, you know, it causes your breaking ball to be sharper, you know, maybe dive a little later, you know, nice tilt to it. Uh, With the fastball, it causes it to almost kind of rise a little bit instead of, you know, sink down like uh, some pitchers with, you know, lower spin rate have. Um, so me I just always had that high spin rate on all my pitches I hold the ball very deep in the back of my hand um, for some reason it's just how I always picked up a baseball um, with the four seam fastball that I throw primarily you know I you know it's kind of a more of an off-center grip so it's more you know on the back of my hand um, so yeah I've never been able to hold it very loose or anything and it's always kind of just been like a supernatural thing for me to do um, like I said I've been playing baseball since I was five so um that's just how I picked up a ball one day and you know I just kept with it and um that's what a lot of people say it's just the spin rates basically we've just game planned uh in college off the spin rates so
0: yeah and that's the thing with the fastball especially because people of course associate spin with curveball but with the fastball it's an important point you make there that elevated fastball when you have that spin rate it makes it look like it's rising and you're really able you were able to blow it by guys and I think you, you do have some velocity to the fastball, don't get me wrong, but it makes that perceived velocity even better. So your fastball and your curveball are already two really good pitches. To be a starter in the, you know, major league level, a lot of people say you need to have three, and I'm sure you've heard this already. You know, what have you been doing to try and work on that third pitch? Because, you know, if you're able to add a third pitch, you know, the sky's the limit. What what's kind of your mentality there? Is it just a change-up that you're focusing on? And what have you been doing to to work on that third pitch?
1: Right, right. So it, it sucks that, you know, obviously the season got canceled because, you know, I was just starting to, you know, throw that change-up. You know, I've been working on this changeup pitch for probably three years now. Um, I think this is probably – that was probably the hardest pitch I've ever had to, you know, kind of learn because it's the biggest feel pitch um, out there. Um, so basically, um, once the quarantine hit, um, I started throwing, throwing change-ups, you know, relentlessly. You know, I was able – you know, a lot of people weren't able to throw once quarantine hit and, you know, throw their bullpen and stuff. Me, fortunately, I was able to. Um, so I call this pitch that I have the quarantine change-up. <laughs> uh, uh, just because, you know, it's gotten really, really good. And, you know, I'm really anxious to, you know, bring it out once I'm able to step back on the field again. Um, like I said, I've been throwing it a ton. I've thrown it, you know, for a really long time now. And I'm starting to finally get a you know, really good feel for it. Uh, And it used to be, you know, pretty far back away from my my first two pitches, but now I I don't feel that's the case. Uh, I feel that it's, you know, pretty close now. I just got to go out there and um, show everybody that I have it. Um, So that's part of the reason I'm real anxious to get back out there, just because I know that I do have that third pitch and and no one necessarily really knows about it just because, you know, we've been in quarantine and on lockdown for quite some time now. But, um, yeah, I've been working real hard on that third pitch and um, it's, it's definitely coming soon whenever I'm able to get back out there, so.
0: Well, that'll be good for you, I guess, then, because the uh, the opposing hitters won't know about that changeup yet either early on. But it's funny you mention that, because I had Griffin Conine on, who was a second-round pick a couple years ago, the Toronto Blue Jays, and he made a bunch of adjustments with his swing during quarantine, and he's like, I can't wait to get out there, because I know everyone's going to be shocked, because for him, it was cutting down on the strikeouts offensively. So would you say during this time, that's been one of the silver linings, is you've just been able to throw it? and throw it and throw it because of all the time off where at least you've been able to polish up on that pitch. I know it's not the same when you don't get to face hitters and stuff, but at least you've got more time to focus on that change up and not have to worry as much about getting outs and just really throw bullpits. Right.
1: Right. Right. And, and, and obviously, you know, nobody ever wanted this pandemic uh, to happen. Nobody wanted this virus. You know, it's putting a lot of, you know, people at risk, but um on the flip side of that, I almost look at this as a time to, you know, just get better, honestly. Uh, the past couple months, you know, I, it's been a grind. You know, I haven't, you know, taken – I haven't even necessarily skipped a beat, uh, so to say. Um, been grinding every day, coming out here, making sure I'm able to throw that change up. I honestly look at it as, as sort of as a blessing. I'm able to, you know, throw this throw this change up as much. You know, I've never been able to throw it this much. Um, you know, I've worked on it every single day for the past four or five months, however long we've been on quarantine before um but yeah I, it's it's been a it's been a long long ride with that pitch um but i definitely think this quarantine is the biggest time to you know maybe maybe separate yourself from from different people and i think that um i was on my way to doing that and i'm still going to keep doing the same thing i've been doing so until i am able to step on that field again and
0: that was Part one of the interview with Zach McCambly, you can hear the confidence in his voice, which has got to be encouraging if you're a Marlins fan. Part two, a lot more about his mechanics, the pitches that he throws, and his improvements, and why he feels really good going into the next season, whenever that may start. Also, his relationship with Marlins' second-round pick, Kyle Nicholas, who he played with in Katuit on the kettle Leaders of the Cape Cod League. So a lot more to be unpacked in part two that'll be out tomorrow, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's going to be a lot more interviews in the future with some of the Marlins prospects, and I really am looking forward to bringing those to you. Thank you for listening. Marlins take on the Blue Jays. This will be released just before first pitch, And the Marlins have two more games. Nate Pearson today. We'll see who goes tomorrow against the Fish. Going to be a tough matchup. We'll see if they can break a three-game losing streak. And I'll be talking about the recap of tonight's game tomorrow in part two of the McCambly episode and a recap of the ball game.